welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. I hope you guys are doing good. If you have your Bible, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to be there in just a moment. Um, today is just kind of a standalone message. This isn't a part of any series or anything like that. Um, it's it just kind of what God has been working on me about. Uh, and so the, the message will, will have a little bit of a different tone. It'll be more teaching in nature rather than preaching. And so, so kind of the, the, the dictation, the energy level probably won't come all the way up there. It'll stay pretty level. But uh, just because, you know, we, we may not get super excited or, or loud in this doesn't mean it's any less powerful. I believe that if you're listening to uh, the message here, um, that, that God will use it to speak to you. And, and I would say this, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to every single one of you here this morning, but I, I don't believe necessarily that God is going to speak to you through the words that I share, but um, the ability to put yourself in a situation to hear from the Holy Spirit and what He has to share for you. So uh, that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. The title of the message is closed caption. And like I said, it's going to be more teaching in nature. Uh, but just because it is that teaching in nature doesn't mean that you, you, you don't have to respond and stuff like that. Like there were some moments in the first service that they missed saying amen and stuff like that. So, uh, so I just want to give you that opportunity to do that. Uh, um, some acceptable phrases are amen. So let's hear an amen from this side. Okay, um, uh, that's so good works too. Let's hear a that's so good. <clears throat> okay, um, if you're feeling really good, you can say preach, brother, stuff like that, but that's only if you're really, really feeling it. Um, but, uh, but just so you know, um, in the, the Bible that they give just to pastors, nobody else gets this Bible, but just to pastors, um, that uh, you get um, extra treasures in heaven when you help a pastor preach by saying amen and that's so good and stuff like that. So I'm not supposed to tell you that. Yeah, that's a good word, right? He's, see, he's, he knows, he knows. He has that Bible right there. So I'm not supposed to share that, but you know, just secrets that only pastors know. So um, take advantage of that as well. Um, First Samuel Samuel chapter 3, like I said, the title of the message is closed caption. Um, What I want to do this morning is I want us to consider the difference between hearing from the Lord and hearing from someone who hears from the Lord. That's kind of the tension that we're going to talk about today. The difference between hearing from the Lord and hearing from someone who hears from the Lord. I'll explain that in just a minute, but we're going to jump right into the text 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to introduce some of these characters and set the context for what I believe the Holy Spirit would say to us today. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. So we have to introduce our characters. We have two characters, Eli and Samuel. Let's talk about Eli first. Eli was the high priest in the nation of Israel on that day. He uh, existed in the very top spiritual leadership position that was available in Israel. It would be something sort of on the lines of like the Pope. I mean, he was the man. He was the supreme spiritual leader. And, and his role consisted of a variety of things. He, he helped oversee some of the other priests that were um, serving and ministering in the nation. Um, he helped determine the will of the Lord for uh, battle and the nations and the leaders and individuals. Um, people would come to the high 
high priest and ask them questions, and the high priest would, 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 would go through some of his stuff to help determine the will of the Lord for that um, nation or for that individual or for that family. I mean, he was a really, really big deal, the high priest was. He was the one who was supposed to be closest to the Lord, have an intimate, special relationship with the Lord. The high priest was the one who uh, would often offer sin sacrifices for the people. If, if somebody was doing something and, and in repentance they would come and, and they would present their sacrifices to the high priest, the high priest would, would offer the sacrifice to the Lord and sprinkle the blood on the altar and all of that stuff. In one time a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would, would go into the Holy of Holies. He would go into this, this very holy place in the tabernacle. If you remember from the Old Testament, or if you don't, I'll tell you, um, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there, there was, uh, it would get progressively more intimate with the Lord. And so as, as the deeper you would go into the tabernacle, the deeper you would go into the temple, the, the, the more um, God's holiness dwelt. And so there in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, um, the once a year, the high priest, and only the high priest, nobody else was ever allowed to go in there, but one time a year, only the high priest would go in there and he would offer uh, a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for his sins and the sins of the people. It was a very sacred, a very holy place, and only the high priest, only once a year, would go in there, he would sprinkle blood on the altar, and what it was doing, it was um, representing this, this, this great sacrifice. It was representing the great salvation that would come in Jesus. It was a foreshadowing on what was to come. It was separated by this huge, massive, intricate curtain, and, and it was really difficult to get through. Some, some suggest that it was like a maze pattern to get through. Others suggested that it was, it was weighted at the bottom so thick that, that the high priest would literally have to get on the ground and crawl under um, the, the curtain there and on his hands and knees and his face and get in and approach the Holy of Holies in that place. The Holy of Holies, um, this huge curtain, that's the curtain that was ripped in two when Jesus died on the cross. And it was very symbolic in the fact that you didn't just have to be the high priest to enter into this holy place. And it was, it was showing us that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we all now have access to the very intimate relational places with Jesus. And, and that's a really good place to say that's so good or amen. Thank you. Okay, so, so this is who the Eli was, the high priest. He, this was him. He got to go into the Holy of Holies, the sacred place, one time a year. He was a really, really big deal. And though Eli held this position of the high priest, God wasn't overly pleased with him. He wasn't a great guy. He was a bad high priest, and he was an even worse father. This high priest, Eli, had two sons, and they were absolute losers. They were, they were no good. They stole from the tabernacle. They, they, they basically dipped into the offering, and, and they took the very best parts, the parts that were set aside for God. They stole. They, um, they would seduce and sleep with the young women who would come into the temple and serve in like ministry and to serve God and serve the temple. And so they would, they would hit on them. They would seduce them. They would sleep with them. They, they were just rotten people. They were priests because um, in the Levitical line, um, the priesthood really followed family lines. And so they were priests, but they were just terrible people. They weren't godly. They weren't believers. They were just sort of in it for themselves. So Eli, their 
father and the high priest, the most important spiritual position of the day, knew that this was going on, knew people were talking about this, and so he talks to his sons. He says, guys, come on, knock it off. You know, I, I need you to stop. And um, him, as their father and their high priest, had the ability to really discipline them, really take care of this. Um, he could remove them from their positions. He could reprimand them as, as their father. But he really does absolutely nothing. Very passive in his leadership with his sons. Just kind of brings it up, but doesn't effectively deal with the problem. Also, we see Eli in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. Um, he, we, we see this scene where he's in the tabernacle, and there's this woman that approaches the altar, and she's praying to God. I mean, she is crying out to God. She's an older woman, and she's not had a baby, and she just desperately wants a baby. And so we get this scene that she's down at the altar, and Scripture tells us that she's in such heartache, agony about um, wanting a baby that, that she, her, her lips are moving in prayer, but no words are coming out. It, it, it's, it's almost like this, this heart groan and, and, and maybe just noises, but no words because she so desperately wanted God to give her a baby. Well, Eli, standing in the back, kind of sees her and he's weirded out by it. So he comes up to her and he yells at Hannah. He says, Hannah, you need to get out of here. This is no place for a drunk woman to be. It's too early in the morning for you to be drinking. This is not the appropriate place for a drunk to hang out. You need to leave. So, so he doesn't even have the spiritual foresight to see that there's somebody in there really connecting with God. He sees her as a drunk woman. And so he tells her to leave. She says, no, 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 you're all wrong. I'm not drunk. I'm desperately crying out to God that he would give me a baby. And his response essentially is, oh, my bad. No, sorry. Um, may the Lord grant you your request. And so, and so you, you see there's a real lack of um, a spiritual foresight and knowledge. And, um, you know, he, he doesn't really discern well kind of what's going on even in the tabernacle. Um, but, but it's weird because when he says, may the Lord grant your request, God did the very next year, she had a baby. Now, I want to suggest something here. It's not talked about often, if ever, but over the past couple of months, as, as the Lord has really been dealing with me on this scripture, as I've been thinking about it and praying on it and just you know, really just wondering what God is saying, I believe that there's a difference between positional anointing and personal anointing. There's a difference between positional anointing and personal anointing. And the nature of this message is going to be more directed to some of the older believers, some of those who have been in relationship with Jesus for a long time. And I don't like to do that often because I know that there are people searching uh, about God and, and wanting to have a relationship with Jesus, which, which there is stuff in here for you too, and, and I desperately need you as well to know this. But, but I want to talk about the difference between a positional anointing and a personal anointing. And those are kind of churchy words. But, but let me explain. There, there are some roles, there, there are some titles, some hats that we wear and, and that we serve in that automatically come with a positional anointing. There's a special grace that God offers to fill certain roles, okay? Some ministry roles, some, some life roles. And, and we have a positional anointing, a special favor, a special grace. I believe that God gives parents a positional anointing, okay? That as parents, God gives us a special grace to um, be able to lead our children well, okay? That if we listen to the Holy Spirit, if we depend on the Holy Spirit, God will give us a special grace. Even if we're not listening, I believe that oftentimes God gives us a special grace to, to be able to parent, parenting, grandparenting. I believe that 
um, anybody who is in a position to open up the Bible and teach Scripture has a certain level of positional anointing, that God's grace is going to be on them to allow them to, to teach the Word well. Life group leaders will have positional anointing. Department heads in, in the context of our church. Board members in the context of our church will have positional anointing. Pastors, certainly I believe, have a certain degree of positional anointing. Um, I, I even believe that, that in nations, I believe that kings throughout scripture have a level of positional anointing. I believe presidents oftentimes have a level of positional anointing, that, that special grace that God gives in order to fulfill or accomplish a role. Even people who are not believers can operate in a little bit of positional anointing because God is so good and his grace is sufficient. And, um, and so certainly Eli, as the high priest, would have had a level of positional anointing. I believe that in all of these there is that positional anointing. God's special grace, his provision, provision and anointing to fill these certain roles. This, I believe, is why Eli, though he wasn't a great guy, and though he had made a lot of mistakes, was able to walk into the Holy of Holies and not die. So he approached this very holy, intimate place, and, and he didn't die because he had positional anointing. I, I believe this is why um, he says to this woman who he thinks is drunk, get out of here, and she says, no, I'm praying. And he says, oh, sorry, my bad. May God grant you your request, and then a result in a baby a year later. This, it, he had positional anointing. But we can't confuse positional anointing with personal anointing. I'm going to say it again. You missed your chance here. I mean, let me give you a backup here. We can't confuse positional anointing with personal anointing. Okay? Some of us, some of you serve in a ministry role, and God is using you for his purpose. He has put a certain degree of positional anointing on you in the ministry or life role that you're in. Right now, some of you are raising your kids, you're reading scripture to them, you're reading the Bible to them, you're making sure that they're in church, you're, you're making sure that they are growing in the Lord, and, and they may be growing in the Lord. God is using them and, and teaching them things about scripture. I mean, I mean, things are going really, really well, and for some of you, there's fruit in your ministry, but you know there is no fruit in your personal life. For some of you, you have positional anointing. God is using you, but you aren't growing personally. There is nothing inside of you. This can be very dangerous. It can be very confusing. We can, we can um, uh, falsely miscalculate our position with the Lord, our relationship with the Lord. Um, we may not be growing, but our kids are growing, and because our kids are growing, we, we falsely assume that we are growing because there's some positional anointing but no personal anointing. It can result in pride. It can result in ongoing seasons of unrepentance where we never really consider where our personal relationship with the Lord is. It, it can create a false sense of security um, with, with our relationship with the Lord. And if we aren't careful, we can allow positional anointing to blind us to the lack of personal anointing in our lives. And when we do that, when leaders do that, when parents do that, when pastors do that, when high priests do, do that, it creates a tremendous amount of damage to the kingdom of God when leaders operate in positional anointing without personal anointing. 
We, we see this happen oftentimes when, when um, celebrity pastors will grow a church and they'll raise this church up really well and God is doing amazing things in the church. People are being saved. People are being healed. People are being called into the ministry. The gospel is being advanced forcefully in their city, in their church, and around the world. But that pastor, that celebrity pastor or that person may have been um, uh, stealing from the church financially, may have been caught in an extramarital affair and all of these things happen. And it becomes really, really confusing for people to see all of this um, very healthy ministry happening under the leadership of, of an ungodly person. And it creates a tremendous amount of damage in the kingdom of God and in the church. And so this is kind of what's happening in the nation of Israel right now with Eli. God is using Eli as the high priest in his position in spite of who he was as a person. So that's Eli. Now let's talk about Samuel. Samuel was uh, 12 years old at this time. Um, Samuel was just a boy, but he would grow up to one day become one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. Samuel happened to be the, the miracle baby that God gave Hannah, the woman that was at the altar crying, accused of being drunk. And um, Hannah said, God, if you give me a baby, I'll give him back to you. And Hannah did. Right? She didn't just make a desperate promise without follow-through. She made a desperate promise and completely followed through that when he was old enough, she brought him back to the tabernacle, to Eli, and said, he is in the service of God from a very, very young age. And so that's exactly what Hannah did. And so think of Samuel as sort of a junior intern. Okay, He, he, he isn't the priest, but he served Eli. In fact, Scripture tells us he wore a linen garment like a priest. So he wasn't the priest, but he dressed like a priest. So again, think of him like, like this little boy who was a junior intern. He'd come to the church every day. He'd serve and, and work with the pastor, and he wore a suit every day, like a suit and tie every day as a 12-year-old boy. Um, he's probably one of those guys that other people would look at and think, man, you're taking this way too serious. You know what I mean? Like Samuel's two sons, or Eli's two sons, rather, were probably looking at him and thinking, oh, this kid, he just doesn't get it. He's so innocent and cute. We'll, we'll, we'll fix him later. Like, he doesn't know the process. Like, probably making fun of him a little bit. He probably takes it a little too serious. Um, Samuel probably gets teased and heckled a little bit. Um, maybe a little bit of an oddball, an outsider, kind of a nerd. You know, this is who Samuel was. Samuel had no positional anointing. Okay, He didn't have any position. He was just a boy, just a little intern. No positional anointing. He was a child that assisted Eli. He was assistant to the high priest. Okay, He was assistant to the high priest. He was like the spiritual version of Dwight Schrute. That's who we got going on here. But what he lacked in positional anointing, he more than made up for in personal anointing. What he lacked in positional anointing, he more than made up for in personal anointing. And I'll say this, you don't need a position to walk in your anointing. You don't need a position to walk in your anointing. You don't need a microphone, you don't need a pulpit, you don't need a stage, you don't need lights to walk in your anointing. That if you just submit your life to God, if you desperately pursue him, God is going to give you an opportunity to walk in your anointing and he will be your, he will be your PA system, he will be your megaphone, he will be your stage and you will be able to do more for the kingdom of God than any person with a position that lacks personal anointing could ever do on their own. You don't need a position to walk in your anointing. 
And so scripture tells us that in those days, messages from the Lord were rare and visions were uncommon. And we kind of have to look at this and understand why. Well, it wasn't because God was on vacation. He wasn't taking a break. He hadn't abandoned his people. He didn't like not care about them anymore. God wasn't giving them the silent treatment. They had stopped listening. The people had stopped listening. The lack of messages and visions is not a reflection of the character of God, but a reflection of the spiritual condition of the people of God. It's interesting, even today, the amount of believers that will complain about how difficult it is to hear from the Lord, how difficult it is to understand the voice of the Lord. They'll say things like, the Lord never speaks to me. I can't hear him. I can't discern his will. They feel like God has abandoned them and left them, hung up the phone, disconnected the line, like God is giving them the silent treatment. But God never gives anybody the silent treatment. The only time God is silent is when he's testing his believers, but it's the believers who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has already spoken to them. The reason why too many of us can't hear from the Lord is because we have stopped learning how to listen to the Lord. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Why? Because God is speaking. Jesus wouldn't say, listen up, if God wasn't speaking. He says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what God is saying, saying through Scripture. Listen to what God is saying through the still, small voice. Listen to what God is saying through ministers and pastors and preachers and, and Christian authors and bloggers and, and all that stuff. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And so what we have in this story is these two characters, Eli the priest, sort of the pope, you know, kind of guy. He's the high priest. He's the one with the positional anointing. He's the one who should be hearing from the Lord. Then we got Samuel, the child, the intern, the, the, the buttoned up suit and tie, the nerd who's taken it way too serious, who has no positional anointing, but God has put personal anointing in his life because he has pursued personal anointing and God is about to speak and only one of these two guys is going to hear what he has to say. So verse two takes us to the rest of the story. It says this. It says, one night, Eli, the high priest, who was almost blind by now, and um, scripture tells us earlier that um, uh, another prophet had come in and talked to Eli and basically prophesied judgment over his family line and his family's ministry because they weren't um, appropriately serving the Lord. And in one of the things he said is that you will be blind. He said, one night Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of, of God. I think this is significant. Samuel, who because of his position wasn't allowed to go fully in, to, to, to go to that place of, of God's full presence there in the Holy of Holies, but he went as far as he could. Samuel was as close to the presence of God as he could possibly get. Scripture says he was near the ark of God, which the ark of God was, was the, the, the one thing on earth that most closely represented a physical manifestation of God on earth, and he was close to the ark of God. Samuel was not only familiar with God's presence, he was comfortable in God's presence. Scripture says he was laying down. He was just hanging out there. He was just laying out in the presence of God. And I think for us as believers, we really need to pay attention to this. Those who have been in the church, been serving the Lord for a long time. 
Too many of us say that we want God to move in our lives. We want God to move in our church. We want God to move in our city. We want God to move in our family. But the second that God begins to actually move, we get really uncomfortable. God starts to move and we're like, hang on, what is this? This is weird. Like, God needs to do this in a way that makes sense to me. But God will never do things in a way that makes sense to you. We have to trust him. And when God begins to move, we get really uncomfortable. So many of us aren't even familiar with God's presence, so there's no possible way that we'd be able to be comfortable in God's presence. We, we need to first learn to be familiar with God's presence so that we can become comfortable in God's presence. And I don't know if we in the church today know how to lay down and rest in the presence of the Lord. Like, Samuel wasn't a visitor in the presence of God. He wasn't a tourist in the presence of God. He didn't pull out his phone and snap selfies of, of this place. Like, look at the lamp. This is here. Hey, this is me in here kind of hanging out, checking this out. for. This is where he lived in the presence of the Lord. He was comfortable with it. We need to learn how to lay down in the presence of the Lord, to rest in the presence of the Lord. Too many times we, we sell the presence of God as a spiritual five-hour energy drink, Right? We sell the presence of God as a divine espresso or, or a spiritual shot in the arm. And we say things like, you know, you, you, give, you give God a little bit of time. You spend just a little bit of time in the presence of the Lord. He's going to fill you up enough to, to, to help you last through the week. And then, and then next Sunday you can spend a little bit of time in the presence of the Lord again. And you'll get another divine five-hour energy and, and you'll be all good. That's how you live. When we think we, I have to get my weekly dose of the presence of God and... <clears throat> We also say, also, you need to hurry up with this because I got plans after this. So um, let's, let's get it rolling here. We need to stop complaining that we can't hear God's voice when we don't make any effort to spend time in his presence. Really, we're too used to leaving before the lamp is out. Think about this. Scripture says he was laying there in the presence of God before the lamp of God went out. Eli went to bed. Samuel was hanging out in the presence of the, of, of the Lord and the lamp was still burning. There's too many of us that, that leave before the lamp of God is out. Oftentimes, God, God won't speak till, till, the lamp is at the, till, till the light is at the very end. He won't speak till after we've spent significant time in his presence. And God wants to speak, and so he wants you to spend time in his presence. Too many times we say, you know what, I'm out, I'm done, I'm done listening before God has even started speaking. And we wonder why God hasn't spoken to us because we don't understand his presence. And I will say this too, that church and God's presence are not the same thing, okay? I, when I'm talking about the presence of God, I'm not just saying, hey, no, so make sure you're at church, you know, every Sunday. You know, I'm talking about living in the presence of God, resting in the presence of God, inviting the presence of God to fill your home, to fill your car, to, to fill your office. I mean, let's let the presence of God fill us up everywhere we go. So that's where Samuel is. He's just hanging out in the presence of God. I, I, you know, again, when Jesus died on the cross, the, the, the curtain tore. That means we have access to the presence of God every moment of every day. That means we can live in the presence of God. We don't have to go to a place. The place has come to us. The place is living in us. And so we can take the presence of God wherever we go. Thank you. You get points. <laughs> Verse 4. It says, suddenly the Lord called out to Samuel. So Samuel is laying down there in the presence of the Lord. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. 
Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Verse 6, then the Lord called out again, Samuel, again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. He knew um, the ways of the Lord. Samuel understood the character of the Lord, but he had never distinguished the voice of the Lord because the voice of the Lord hadn't given him a personal message yet. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call? Now, in this context, it wouldn't have been strange for Eli to call Samuel in the middle of the night. That was Samuel's job to serve Eli. So Samuel was old. He was almost blind. Um, so Samuel, or Eli was old and almost blind, so Samuel was there to serve him. If he um, had a hard time sleeping and he wanted somebody to read to him, he'd call Samuel, come in and read to me. It, maybe he needed to use the restroom and, and, and he needed help. And so um, Samuel, come, come on, help me. Maybe he was cold and he needed a blanket. So there would have been a multiple number of reasons for Eli to call Samuel. But every time that Eli or Samuel heard his name, he got up and he ran to Eli. He answered the call three times. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. What did you need? You called. What can I do for you? I'm ready. I'm able to serve. I'm here for you. And I think what God is doing in this is he is showing us the makings of a man of God. Because God, think about this, God in, in his infinite power, he is able to show up in a situation and distinguish himself from a blind old man. You know what I'm talking about? Like God, God can show up and beyond a shadow of a doubt, we will know that it's God. Right? I mean, there will be no question. God could have sent an angel beforehand. And, and he could have sent an angel and said, hey, um, go shine really bright in Samuel's room. Go show up there. Like, like play the angel trumpet and, and have your sword drawn and, and scare him to death and then tell him like God's going to speak. Like God could have done that, right? Like he could have made it absolutely clear. So why would God have, I don't know, disguised his voice to sound like Eli? Why, why would God have done that? Why would God sound like Eli? Um, I think maybe God calls and, and sort of disguises his voice to, to sound like Eli because he wants to show us a pattern. Think about this. God calls. Samuel thinks it's Eli. He runs to Eli. Here I am. Go back to bed. God calls again. He thinks it's Eli. He runs to Eli. Here I am. What do you need? Nothing. Go back to bed. God calls again. He thinks it's Eli. He runs into Eli. What do you need? Here I am. Nothing. Go back to bed. Are you noticing a pattern here? Like Samuel could have, after the second time, been like, man, that crazy old man. He has lost his mind. I'm just staying here in bed. But he doesn't. Every time he goes, here I am, here I am, here I am. And we see this pattern. When God calls his people, God doesn't look for gifts. He doesn't look for talents. He doesn't look for how smart you are, how funny you are, how gifted you are. God's not looking at you and looking to see if you have potential. He's looking at you and looking to see if you exhibit patterns. Our patterns show our potential. Our patterns show our potential. God doesn't need your gifts. He doesn't need your smarts. He doesn't need your talent. He's looking for your patterns. And if Samuel is going to run to his spiritual leader over and over and over again and say, here I am, what do you need? This is exposing a pattern in his life. And if that's how Samuel is responding to his earthly spiritual leadership, how much more is he going to run to God every time God calls him and say, here I am, what do you need? It's a pattern that God is going to use for the rest of his life. 
Some of you desire God to use you, to guide you, to direct you in your life. You say, God, here I am, use me. But you don't ever respond with here I am when your spiritual leadership calls. I understand why you're quiet on that one. Instead, you exhibit a pattern, a pattern of busyness. You have a pattern of starting without following through. You have a pattern of excuses. You have a pattern of bitterness. You have a pattern of talking negatively about the church, about the leadership within the church. You have a pattern of saying, well, I, I'll, I'll jump all in when things slow down in my life. People ask, would you consider helping in the nursery? Instead of saying, here I am, use me. It's like, nah, you know, I'm waiting for God to use me. Get asked, you know, to lead a life group. Instead of saying, here I am, use me. You know, Man, then I'm going to have to clean my house. Uh, we don't believe in cleaning our house, you know. Amen? Come on, somebody. You know, hey, would you start tithing? And instead of here I am, God, use me and everything that I have and everything that I am. It's like, you know what? I'm just waiting for God to, to use me in a different way. And this goes for people who've responded to God in the past, who've said, here I am in the past. Perhaps 20 years ago, God called you and you said, here I am, use me. But you feel like it's somebody else's turn. God is looking for the pattern in people to not just say, here I am one time, two times, but every time. If God called you 20 years ago and you said, here I am, if God calls you today, don't say, I've already done my time. You say, here I am. Use me. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And, and even for me, when I try to evaluate someone's potential, I get myself in trouble almost every time. Every time I get myself in trouble. But when I focus on their patterns, what is a true indication of real spiritual potential, I, I begin to see clear. Are they doing the right things? And are they doing them over and over and over and over again? In Samuel's life, there was a pattern of availability. There was a pattern of service. And this is God's litmus test, isn't it? Look at what he, Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Jesus says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. He's looking for patterns. Another thing that I think is important, especially for new believers, maybe you've not been following the Lord for a long time, maybe you're like in Samuel's situation, you know about God, you know some of his characteristics, but you've never discerned or understood his voice. Maybe he's never called you. I want you to know sometimes God's voice, sometimes God's call doesn't sound like God at first. Now listen, sometimes God's call doesn't sound like God at first. Sometimes God's call sounds like your pastor, Okay? Sometimes the call of God sounds like a worship song. Sometimes God, God's call sounds like a Christian author. Sometimes God's call sounds like your spouse. Sometimes God's call sounds like your inner monologue. And you're thinking, am I thinking this or is God speaking to this? But it's, it's, it sounds like me thinking this. But it feels like maybe it's God um, uh, giving me these thoughts to think. And, and, and so sometimes it can be really hard to determine um, who is speaking to you. Some of you, you feel God calling you right now and you don't know if it's God or, or if it's just um, the power pastor up there preaching and doing a really good job because we're talking back and saying amen and good word and all that stuff. And so, so I don't know, what is it? And so it, sometimes it can be very difficult to know if it's God or if it's something else. But if you learn to live in the presence of God, you will begin to distinguish the voice of God. Verse 8, the second part of verse 8. Then Eli, the third time Samuel runs in there, Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Verse 9, so he said to Samuel, Go and lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And so this had to be super exciting for Samuel. 
like he, he realized, man, God is trying to talk to me. And so he goes back to bed. He's laying down with all sorts of excitement and anticipation. God is going to call again, and I'm going to say, speak, your servant is listening. And um, this must have been really energizing for him because now he knows who's calling him. But on the flip side, this must have been really discouraging for Eli because Eli was the one that God was supposed to be speaking to. If they were laying, if they were there in that tabernacle and God began to speak, it should have been Eli, not Samuel, who was listening and hearing the voice of the Lord. But what's happening here and what becomes very clear is that this is an indication that the judgment that God has pronounced on Eli and his family for their wickedness and their unwillingness to address sin is coming to pass and God is going to remove the priesthood from Eli and his family and pass it on to somebody else. But in one of the only really honorable things that Eli does is he tells Samuel how to hear from the Lord, how to respond. It's a sad day when the man of God can tell people how to hear from the Lord but can't actually hear from the Lord himself. It's a sad day when the man of God can tell people how to hear from the Lord but can't actually hear from the Lord himself. I was studying through this passage a little over a month ago, and, and this is, I just feel like the Lord dropped this warning into my heart like a sledgehammer. I feel like the Holy Spirit would, would compel me to give you the same warning, especially you who have some spiritual leadership. Maybe you're a parent or, or a ministry leader, or God's just using you in a leadership capacity. Um, I feel like that this warning would be for you as well. Just because, here it is, just because you are teaching others how to hear from the Lord doesn't mean you are listening to the Lord. Just because you're teaching other people how doesn't mean you are. Verse 10. And the Lord came and called us before Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined him, them. So think about this. Samuel's a 12-year-old boy serving Eli. God has a message to deliver. And so he calls him, Samuel. Samuel responds to Eli. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. He says, oh, it's God speaking to you. So this time say, say your servant is listening. And the message that God gives to this 12-year-old boy is, I'm going to remove the ministry position from your boss, and I'm going to kill his two sons. Good night, sweet dreams, right? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to, I mean, the message that God spoke to Samuel that night was not for Samuel, it was for Eli, but Eli couldn't hear the message because he wasn't listening. How sad, right? How sad. Just because you're teaching others how to hear from the Lord doesn't mean you're listening to the Lord. Pastors and other spiritual leaders are often told you can never take your people where you've never been. In essence, they're saying you won't be able to lead someone to develop a walk with Jesus that you haven't walked already. You can't take people deeper in their walk than, than you go. And I understand in part what they're saying, you know, personal accountability, personal integrity, personal anointing, and all that stuff, but I completely disagree. And you should too, because how sad for you if your relational intimacy with the Lord depended on my relational intimacy with the Lord. How sad for you if I was the gold standard and you could never know Christ more than I did. How sad for you. I'm not the gold standard. You're not the gold standard. 
Those of us who have been believers for a long time need to know that God can use us and often does in spite of us. I'm, I'm so glad that my kids have the potential to know Jesus more intimately than I do. I'm so glad that every single one of us have access to the throne room of God, that the, that the curtain has been torn, that you don't have to have a microphone and a title to be able to access the presence of God, that every single one of us can know God personally. But as leaders, we do have the ability to show the way without ever actually going the way. I can thoroughly explain the map without ever actually going on the journey. And the sad part is when Christian leaders, seasoned believers, find their identity in teaching others how to hear from the Lord without ever actually developing the ability to hear from the Lord themselves. Eli taught Samuel how to hear, but he couldn't hear the Lord himself. How sad. How sad. I want to close with this illustration, and we'll pray and let you go, because you got things to do, right? Amen. Yeah, amen. Um, <clears throat> a couple years ago, Melissa and I, we rented the movie Les Mis, Les Miserables. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, uh, it's a musical, so um, we felt real sophisticated, real grown up and adult, because we were, you know, watching a musical, you know, sort of thing. And, uh, I mean, there was just something very satisfying about watching Wolverine and the Gladiator fighting on screen while they're singing, you know. It was, it was kind of neat. Um, but we watched the movie, turned it on, and I absolutely hated it. I didn't like it at all. And uh, it was because they sang everything. Like, they didn't speak. They just sang everything. And it was just it was hard for me to understand. I wasn't catching all the words and they were talking about looking down and they were picking up really heavy logs and I'm just like, I'm, I don't know. And so I told Melissa, I said, I'm completely lost. We need to turn on the closed caption. And when we turned on the closed caption, I, I, I understood. I knew what was being said. I could now hear the words because I was reading them and, and you know, judge me if you like, but it was a pretty good movie, right? I liked it. But the closed caption was very beneficial for me because I couldn't hear what they were singing well, but, but when I could read it and hear it at the same time, like it made sense. But sometimes people overuse closed close caption. There's some people, maybe you go to their house and they're the people that turn the closed caption on all the time. Those people are the worst, worst. If that's you and you're in this place, I'm sorry, you're the worst, okay? And I'll tell you why, because I have no ability to ignore the closed caption. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't not read it. And so if the closed caption is a second before or a second behind, like, it throws me off. It ruins everything. I just can't not read it. And then what often happens is that during commercials, they'll turn the volume all the way down. And then when the show comes back on, they won't turn the volume up. And so what happens is there's a room full of people sitting there in the room. And instead of listening to what's being said, we're reading what's being said. We're depending on somebody to listen for us and then tell us what's being said. And sometimes the closed caption people, they get it wrong. And I'll say this, if your only source of hearing from the Lord is trusting that, that I spend time in the presence of God and that I develop patterns of faithful obedience to God and that I hear from the from the Lord, and your only 
time of hearing from the Lord is trusting me to hear from the Lord for you, I will promise you there will be times that I get it wrong. I'll get it wrong. Just like those people, those closed captions. Sometimes they're like, you know, the toaster is in the shoe. And I'm like, what? I thought we were looking for diamonds. What toaster? What is this? Sometimes they get it wrong. And sometimes it's like they don't even try. It's like they invited their three-year-old to come and bang on the keyboard for a little bit. Let's see what happens. It's like, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, what is this? Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I'm afraid that when it comes to our relationship with the Lord and our ability to hear from the Holy Spirit, a lot of us have turned up the closed caption and turned down the volume. We want someone to live in the presence of the Lord. We want someone to live in a pattern of faithfulness to the Lord so that when God speaks, they can hear and tell us what God is saying. And God would say to you, I believe the Holy Spirit would say to you, listen to me, I believe the Holy Spirit would say to you, don't ever forget that the curtain has been torn and you have access to the presence of God and God has a word not from your spiritual leaders, but God has a word from him to you and anyone with ears to hear needs to listen because God is speaking not just through your pastors, but God is speaking through his Holy Spirit. God is speaking through his still small voice to you. For whatever reason, we find the voice of the Lord distracting. We find the voice of the Lord annoying and so we stop listening. Oftentimes it's when the Lord is, is, is um, directing us to confront some sort of ongoing habitual sin in our life and because we're, we're too cowardly really to address that sin, we begin to turn the volume down and turn away and we say, you know, when God speaks about this, I'm not gonna listen and so because we're not willing to listen in that area, we forget how to listen altogether and so we'll pick and choose who we want to listen to based on what we hope God's message is for us, not what God's message really is for us. Sometimes we approach God and we think, you know, I've seen this episode before, I know what he's gonna say, so I don't really need to listen. Sometimes we approach God and we say, you know what, I, I don't need God's help on the little things, I pretty much got this covered. I'll just go to God in the big things, but because we're not listening to God in the little things, God's not gonna speak big things to us, or when he does, we're just not willing to listen. We get to the point in our lives that we've just forgotten how to turn the spiritual volume up altogether. We become fully dependent on a spiritual closed caption. We become fully dependent on somebody else's ability to hear from the Lord and relay the message to us. Jesus would say, I've given you spiritual ears, so listen up, because I'm speaking to you. I've given you spiritual ears, so listen up, because I'm speaking to you. Stand your feet all across this place. Just got two things I want to say and then we're going to close. I believe that there, there are two real messages here. What the Holy Spirit would say to those of you who are in leadership positions, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a pastor. I believe that God would say this to you, that God wants to speak to you, not just through you. I'll say it again. God wants to speak to you and not just through through you and to those who maybe would see themselves more like a Samuel maybe new to all this stuff maybe there is some spiritual immaturity in you maybe you don't have all the answers maybe you mess it up and God is trying to speak to you and you're like thinking it's something else I would say to you this morning God is calling you 
to listen. God is calling you by name. Listen. He wants relationship with you. And so the appropriate response is your servant is listening. Here I am. Your servant is listening. Here I am. Your servant is listening. Bow your heads. Close your eyes all across this place. We're going to do this. We're going to take three minutes here. Just three minutes. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond by saying, here I am, your servant is listening. And I, I don't believe that God is going to speak this message to you. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit has an individual message to you specifically. To you specifically. For you. And when we humble ourselves, when we submit ourselves to the voice of the Holy Spirit and say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Here I am. Speak. I'm ready to listen. Here I am, Lord. Speak to me. I believe you have a message for me. Here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. We have to position ourselves to receive that message. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.